do to go um, kind of like the format that Pastor Olson had a few weeks ago. I thought that was excellent in the book of Proverbs. What we're going to do is we're going to start in Psalm 119, verse 33. And we do know that the core of Psalm 119 is David basically later on in life talking about prayers and praises to the Lord. And he uses many wonderful words to describe the Word of God. He, he speaks about his precepts, the testimonies, the commandments of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with chapter 119, verse 33, and that is the Hebrew alphabet, um, H-E, hey, and we're going to just look at that and we're going to study that and just discuss it this morning. I'd like to ask uh, Greg, could you start and read verse 33 and we'll discuss that. Psalm 119, verse 33. Go ahead and take your time. It's okay. We were connecting, actually, this portion of Scripture with our new study and Wednesday night prayer meeting for the last couple of weeks regarding the book of Proverbs. We started in chapter 1. We've been talking about wisdom. We've been talking about how Solomon went back to his father, David, and described him. And some really good applications would come through this. So, Greg, if you have that, go ahead and read it. So we see in verse 33, David cries out, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes. And he's still, I think it's interesting that he's still talking about this. And he's still very much in awe as Pastor Coleman was preaching from Psalm 139 last week about how David says how the ways of God are past finding out. His knowledge is immense. It's just incredible. And David here in an older age is saying, Teach me, O Lord, still thy way of thy statutes. What can we learn from that this morning? Anyone? Well, we can see all through Psalm 119 here, it's according to God's commandments, and every verse has about uh, God's commandments, God's statutes, God's ways, about all those things that have to do with God's commandments. And the commandments are for all time, the moral commandments. They aren't just for the Old Testament. And people like to do away with Amen. That's a great point. And you know, I think what we can add to that, we could ask the question in verse 33, are we supposed to only consider the interpretation of the statutes and the judgments and the precepts of God by the mouths of men? Is that where we should, is that where we should stop? Or do we have other responsibilities to the Word of God? I'm sorry? To keep it. Are we supposed to basically only have a handful of Bibles, keep the rest of them locked up, and the only way you hear the Word of God is when you walk into the door on Sunday morning and you get some kind of liturgy or some kind of like a foreign interpretation or some kind of like intervention? Is that what we're supposed to do with the Word of God? I think one of the very important, um, many, many important uh, um, platforms and applications of the Reformation is how Martin Luther and Calvin and other men wanted us, wanted and taught how we're to read the Bibles ourselves. And we're to learn it. We're to study to show, study to show ourselves approved. You know, in verse 33, remember David had prophets in the day. He had priests. He had sorcerers. 
He had a lot of people around him, and he begs the Lord to teach him. He begs the Lord that he will keep it until the end. Remember that Job knew that there was no greater teacher than there was than the Lord God Almighty. Can someone read before we go to verse 34? Someone look up Job chapter 36 and six and read verses 22 and 23. There's no other greater teacher than God. That's where it all starts. And although we live in an age of naturalism today, where everything comes from nature, the energy is in the nature, the energy is in the sun and the moon and the stars and everything that we breathe, naturalists, well, you could call us as Christians supernaturalists because we believe in a God that creates and a God that can do anything. Job 36, 22 and 23... I think that's fascinating when we see that the, the word iniquity is given. And that basically goes back to the moral law and shows that we have a responsibility to uphold the tenets and the brilliance of our Lord God Almighty. That's very important. Job knew it back in the day, which is one of the oldest books written. David knew it, and he's saying here basically, nobody can teach like God. We can't learn anything over God. Anything that there is ends, it starts, it finishes. We know that our Lord is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending. It starts and it ends with Him. Everything does. And that's why the psalmist says, as we look out our windows in the morning, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork, so none of us are without excuse. Verse 34. Let's go, uh, Miss Ear, could you read verse 34? So let's talk, let's discuss this first. What's what do you think uh, King King David is saying here in verse thirty four about the, him him asking for understanding? Anyone? By the way, if you all just got here, we're in Psalm one nineteen verses thirty three to forty, and we're discussing these verses this morning. We're taking a little break from the Book of Acts. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. We we spoke in from Proverbs one regarding wisdom, teaching the children wisdom. Why is it to teach them wisdom and instruction? And if you miss Wednesday night, you, uh, you'll understand on Wednesday night we were talking about why instruction is so important. Is it, do we just teach our children or our grandchildren? I mean, there are a lot of grandparents today that are raising their, kid, their grandkids. A lot of them are raising them today because the parents are just AWOL. They're gone. And it's kind of good in some certain circumstances because you still have the old school types of grandparents that are out there still teaching the Bible and good things and regardless... Basically, you just you can't just give the kids, or if you're teaching a Sunday school class, or you're teaching a vacation Bible school, or maybe a youth group, or something like that, 
You can't just give the legislation without instruction. And I believe that's why Paul says, how can they hear without a preacher? Someone has to interpret it, make it practical, and I think bring it to life. And what I love to do is when I, when I read different parts of Scripture, no matter where I'm at, I love to find the drama. I love to find a narrative that shows how this all comes together and how the Lord puts it in our minds and our hearts. So David here, Pastor Olson gave a really good answer here. David talks about understanding. You go all the way to Proverbs, you can see that it's passed on to his son with Solomon. And Solomon talks about his father in Proverbs verse, chapter 1, verse 1. And he had begged the Lord for what? Solomon. Exactly. Amen. And the Lord didn't just give him wisdom. He also gave him riches. And so understanding. He says, give me understanding, Lord. You know, David does not ask to be taught the language of the law only or the sentiment or the public tenor or the community conscience. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night for he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And I truly believe, and that's Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, well, that is a messianic prophecy, because our Lord never did anything that did not prosper. Double negative there, but he, everything he did prospered beautifully and perfectly. And so the understanding that David still, I think it's fascinating that later on in life, he's still asking the Lord for understanding in verse 34. Have we ever reached the pinnacle where we can take our Christian flag and put it on a hill and say, I have arrived. I don't have to do anything else. I know everything. Lisey. Right. Right. We, we are, that, that goes right back to what we started off with this morning. Does, is, it, is it basically the practice of the church that only those that are standing in front of the church, only those are the ones that are to take the Bible and just talk about it, and that's all the Bible that the people in the congregation and all get? You know, I think Lisi hits the nail right on the head because I've heard this many times too. People only listen to what they hear maybe for 25 minutes or a half or what they regurgitate from a Sunday morning message or on the radio. But the only way to interpret Scripture is to dig, is to get in there and dig and keep digging and digging and digging. And things that you put together, I tell you what, there's nothing that makes you feel more intelligent and more ready and more wise than to take God's Word and to connect it together and to apply it into your own life. And that's, I think that's why it's so wonderful that David here, he begs, he begs the Lord, give me understanding. He says, give me understanding, David. Yes, I shall observe it with my whole heart. David knows the greatest commandment. Can someone look up Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38? 
It's so embedded and engraved in our lives that it's in our hearts. Matthew 22, 37, and 38. The first and great commandment goes to the first four applications that we see here behind the pulpit. Those are the commandments, those four commandments that deal with what? Exactly. It deals with how we are to these four commandments and these little short phrases bring it all together about worship. David speaks about understanding and look at the psalmist, Asaph. No. Is it Asaph? Yes. Yeah, in, uh, yes, in, in Psalm 73, I believe it was Psalm 73, 18, he says, I, 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 as I, I went, until I entered into the sanctuary of my God, then understood I their end. What's he talking about? Well, just listen about what Pastor Olson is going to preach this morning. You will understand the end of the wicked very well. They literally took a prophet and stoned him. They stoned him because he was giving the truth and he was giving a warning from God about what what was going on. Can you imagine right now going into Congress down here and giving a warning like Zechariah, this prophet, and telling them what they're doing with these sodomites? you imagine what would happen? There's men right now in these capital riots that they, they just arraigned, they tried one, and they sentenced him in private on Thursday. They did it in private. That's totally unconstitutional. We, nobody even knows how long the time he's gotten. And the FBI now has got henchmen out there looking all over the country for those, those capital, the rioters they call them. They're more interested in finding them and jailing them. They're literally combing the whole country for that than these people that are coming in illegal and they're murdering and they're doing all these horrible things. I mean, we got a real problem here. And so here we see David says, Lord, Lord give me understanding and open my heart up. We see here when, the, when our Lord says, Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This question has been asked by the Pharisaical the, the lawyers of the day. They had asked what was, what was the greatest commandment. And David said, I desire to be taught by God. And here the Pharisees were literally being taught by God incarnate. And what did they do? They turned on him and they hated him. The Messiah was there and they missed him. Yeah, this is prevalent today in our legislative system. Verse 35. Um, Jacob, could you read verse 35? I'm sorry, Jacob. Psalm 119, 35. Yeah, we're still back to Psalm 119. That's a good verse, though. Wow, that's a big verse, isn't it? That's a really important verse. Anybody? Anybody want to take a stab at this verse and, and give an idea on what you think about that? Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do, therein do I delight. It brings up a lot of questions. Matthew. That's right, Lisey. You know, soul food is a wonderful lift in our head. We can lift our heads about the decision 
Right. Amen. It's a humility. Right. Amen. Matthew, repeat what you just said. What did Christ say about that path? Why? Why? You have to ask the question, why? As a Christian, why? Christ says narrow is the path that leads to life and few there be that find it. Why is it so few people that find it? Well, we can bring up the question in verse chapter 35 before I go forward. Anybody else want to take a stab at this verse? I think it's pregnant with theology, definitely. Right. So Charlie's saying, well, I have a wonderful life. Can we ask the question, do we find joy in them? And I have a question this morning. What happened to him? What happened to him in the public schools? Right. What happened to him in colleges? What happened to him in a lot of churches today? Give me one second, Matt. It's amazing how people hate him, but they love the protection of him. Isn't that amazing? Especially take the last six. Does anybody, does anybody really want to you know, be a mother and father and have their children dishonor them? I mean, thou shalt not kill. Do you want to go home today and find your loved ones murdered in horror? You don't even know. There's so many ways they can be murdered, and there's a lot of horrible ways. Do you really want that to happen? I mean, look at this one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You're newlywed. You want your spouse committing adultery on you? Thou shalt not steal. You want to go out to your car? A lady, uh, lady was saying on some news thing yesterday, on some, some blog thing that... Locked my car, parked it in my driveway, went out there, somebody broke the window and ripped everything out of it. Does that feel good? It doesn't say thou shalt maybe steal, it says thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Do you love it when people just lie to you and patronize you? Or this is the, I think this is the most fascinating one of them all. I mean, really, if you were going to have an island and it was yours and you owned it and you had to make a whole set of laws up, you might pick thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Somebody, like who would ever pick thou shalt not covet? That's brilliant. That is one of the most brilliant command. Why? Because it goes to our hearts. You're, the Lord doesn't even want you to look at what other people have and desire it, because what that does is it leads to nothing but absolute jealousy and go steal what they have and kill to get it. All the way down the line. Look what happened to David with Bathsheba and how horrible that was. Thou shalt not covet. And these are laws that have protected us and being embedded in the Bill of Rights made us a really great nation. And now look at what they're doing to them. And what does David say in verse 35? I delight in them. What do people delight in today? That's the question I wanted to get to. You want to keep talking about verse 35? What do they delight in? Huh? That's a big one. I never even thought of that. It's a very narcissistic society, isn't it? They delight in themselves. Millions and millions of dollars they spend on hair plugs, Botox, having big bank accounts, the best cars, the best houses. And what does it profit a man? If he gains the world and he loses his own soul. What, is other, what do people delight in? What are other things that people delight in? Well, it's... You, you can all answer this. Drive to church on Sunday morning and you can find what they don't delight in. You can see the golf courses are filled. The, the bike, people are on bikes. 
The kids are out playing lacrosse this morning and soccer. You know, the grocery stores are filled. Pretty much everything's filled, except, well, no, Bible-believing churches anyway. I don't know about some of these other, you know, big entertainment churches. They're pretty filled. But what do they delight in? What other things? Well, the Orioles are about one game from getting into the playoffs. I'll bet on Sunday they'll delight in that. Sports. Right. Right. That's right. Oh, he does. Right. Right. But many people say today that Satan is bound. He can't do anything. We're fine, right? I don't think so. He's, he's not bound. He, he knows how to hit you where you live. He knows how to get you right where it hurts. And then David, and this is why we're, I think we're building a case here. I think in David's, if you go down, if you go a little further in Psalm 119, there's a verse about David says, the verse says something about David's, David's appearance is now like a bottle. And basically what he was talking about was the hard, the bottles back there were made out of leather and they would get real wrinkled and they would get really like uh, weathered. And at that point, it's basically saying that his face was weathered. That means he was, he was getting older. And so here he is in an older age. He's still saying, I delight in the law of the Lord. Lord, give me understanding. And the case that we're building here is he even believed at that age that it was not that even he already had been through this, but he knew that it wasn't for the grace of God he could commit the most heinous crimes and the heinous sins without the grace of the Lord. Without him, we're capable of doing anything. David is declaring a very evident problem that we all struggle with. It's our nature to war against the law and to fight it. David has to be taught the law of God so that he will be obedient to it. We know that Paul had struggled with the flesh, pride and covetousness. They're key components of the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. David asked for mercy and grace from God to be able to incline him to, to observe the precepts of God. He delights in them. And this is, this is very difficult for young Christians as we must turn against the flesh and that we so selfishly guard. In Galatians 5.24 we read, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And this pathway that we were talking about where Christ says, narrow is, that, narrow is that gate that leads to life and few there be that find it. Most people, they want that wide one that leads to destruction. That's what they love. They love the things of the world. And David is very, very, very careful with this. Um, how about Pastor Olson? Can you read verse 36 in Proverbs, I mean Psalms 119? David mentions the heart again. Anyone? Anyone like to, to interpret this verse and talk about it for a minute? Well, I think covetousness has, I mean, is it wrong to want something? It's not wrong to want something, but it's wrong to want it too much. Right. Want it more than you should. In other words, how far would we go to get it? Yeah. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. 
I think one of the things that I see an example that I've, I've experienced in my life is people that just don't bloom where they're planted. They, they're not happy where they're at, and they're always looking for something better. They're coveting some better life. I think that's how a lot of marriages are broken up and how a lot of children wind up leaving the house and doing bad things. They don't want what they're being taught. They want to find something else out there, and it's a grand illusion. It really is. It's a real smoke screen. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Lisey. Right. Right, and it's it's amazing. You say you say that they're wandering and they're looking for something else, but it's amazing how when people like do that and they want like in their own churches, they don't they're not comfortable in their own churches anymore, and so they just want to get up and desert them and leave, and then they'd go off and they do something else. I remember years and years ago, a, a, a very solid church out near Huntington or Huntington, Pennsylvania. They had a there was a, a pastor out there, he was Irish, I think, and he had been with the congregation all those years, and out of nowhere, he just said, I'm leaving. He, just, he said to the congregation, I'm leaving, and it, and it turned out that the people out there, I know them, they, they, they found out he went to another church out in the Midwest, and they offered him an extra $15,000 a year salary. The church loved him. They were with, he was with them for many, many years. And he wanted to find greener pastures, but um, you know, the question is, were those pastures really greener? I mean, David says here, he says, incline mine heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. And that's what we were just looking at the 10th commandment, the covetousness. Are we willing to forsake what the Lord teaches us to go after something and to get it any way we can get it? And I think we're really being taught that today in our own current community college and conscience in society where it's basically get what all you can, take what you can, and be as shrewd as you can be. And that's kind of what it's like. David says, incline mine heart. Open my heart up to it. Unto thy testimonies. And that's one of many, many words that David uses regarding God's word. He calls them his commandments, his precepts. Uh, he calls them his understanding, his, um, he, his, the judgments. And there's so many words that he uses to bring that all together. And he talks here about covetousness, and we know that David would know very well about covetousness and what happened with Bathsheba and how that turned out. It didn't turn out well, did it? Verse 37, see, where are we at now? Uh, Jerry, could you look up verse Psalm 119.37? Okay, how about, let's say, I'll tell you, let's go over to Matthew. Matthew, why don't you, Psalm 119, verse 37. Anybody want to take a want to want to take a little little job here in interpreting this verse here? Turn away my eyes from the 
From vanity, right. Amen. Lisi. Yeah, excellent. Right. And what's that refrain he uses all throughout Ecclesiastes? All is vanity. Pastor? Amen. And vexation of the Spirit. It's all vanity. What's he saying? It's all going to be helped. Now, hey, I'm going to, you're probably going to get upset at me at this, but I'm going to say that there is a very, very important theological value that Al Gore has brought to us that he's very right. He says that the earth is going to be destroyed by fire with global warming. And he hit the nail right on the head because it's coming. <laughs> but it's going to be a fervent fire when the Lord uses it. Not, there will be nothing left. And all is vanity. And Solomon lived his life and he looked back and he looked over and he said, All the fun, all the money, all of the women. And all the stuff that he had added up to what? Nothing. Wood, hay, and stubble. That's what it added up to. Right. See, and you've got to be careful with that statement because it works there. But sometimes, you know, we come home from church and the kids have heard a sermon or we had Bible studies and they tell them to clean the room and that's all going to be burned by fire anyway. Why bother with it? <laughs> Why, you know, just let it stay. You know, there's truth to that, but it doesn't uh, trump the responsibility, you know. David fears the Lord. He struggled with vanity and covetousness. Saw that in Psalm 51, and that Psalm 51 is one of the seven penitential psalms, and it's actually entitled by a theologian as Repentance Unto Life. And he saw the vanity and the outcome of what he had done to, to Uriah and what happened with Bathsheba. He seeks wisdom. He begs the Lord for it. He fears the Lord. He does not, he does not, he, he fears the Lord because he does not comprehend the full measure of his greatness. And I believe that that could be a reason why most people are afraid of God. If you learn about God and if you study about him, and if you read, you will see that he's so merciful that you can't even begin to comprehend how kind and loving he is to us. Why do good things happen? I mean, bad things happen to good people. None of us are good. Why aren't we all burning in hell right now, which is where our natural habitat really is? Why would we choose to go to hell? Why would we choose darkness? We would do that innately because it's our habitat. That's why we would fight God all the way to going into that wide gate that leads to destruction. But he chooses. And thank the Lord that he does and that he's there. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I love the second verse in Hebrews 11. For by it the elders obtained a good report. One of these elders we're going to be reading about, Pastor Olson is going to be talking about the prophets this morning. And what they did, what they did to these prophets is unconscionable. Verse 38. Uh, Noah, why don't you read verse 38, Psalm 119, 38.
<laughs> Whoa! Now we're going a little bit of different direction. What, is, what does he say at the end of the verse? He says, establish thy word unto thy servant. What's he talking about? Who today wants to live in fear? Who is devoted to fear? Oh no, people pay great money to psychiatrists and all kinds of professional help to not have fear and to get over all of these phobias. Does anybody know what the number one fear... I thought this was fascinating. I heard this years ago, and it still goes true today. What is the number one fear that people have in the world today? And it's a, it's a clinical term. That's a good one. That's not it. At least... Xenophobia. Yeah, I think that's part of the public... Matthew. Yeah, it's, it's being around other people and standing in front... And here I'm standing here. I mean, I remember the first time I did this. I, I just wanted to drive past this driveway and keep going. I didn't want to come back. <laughs> I mean, I was like, i got to stand in front of people and talk. It's frightening. It is. It can be frightening. And people spend tens of thousands of dollars to psychiatrists and clinical doctors and specialists to get over their fears. You know, the fear of dying. Oh, there's all kinds of self-help to get over the fear of dying. You know what they do today? Well, they just tell you to live longer. Work out, you know. There's nothing wrong with working out. I like to work out. I don't spend 10 hours a day doing it. It's obvious. But, you know, some people spend, get up in the morning and spend four hours in the morning, and that's the first thing they think about. Then the next thing they think about is putting enough moisture on your face to get all the crinkles out of it. Do everything they can, and they're saying now in Hollywood, the middle age is 60 years old. How many Hollywood movie stars have you seen that are 120 right now? I don't know. But that's what they want to do. So anyway, in verse 38, establish. What does it mean to establish thy word unto thy servant? What's David asking? Lisa, I'm sorry to miss you. Go go back. That's fine. That's right. Right? Amen. Right. Amen. He wants to be established. He wants it. He wants it emboldened in him. He wants to driven into his heart, like Ezekiel. Remember, he ate the scrolls, and it, it tasted like honey. It was not bitter, and it, 
basically, uh, I, I, one of the messages I heard years ago was that he loved the Word of God so much that he hated it, tasted like honey came out of his pores. I think the per this is my opinion, and open up the floor, you can tell me what your opinion is. I think the number one problem we have in the United States of America is the lack of exactly what David's talking about. It's the fear of the Lord. And what was the word that we used to open up the class today? The main, the main word. Wisdom. Wisdom is the main word. Wisdom by the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, which I love that one, that dictionary, is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships. It's insight, good sense, judgment. It's generally accepted belief, accumulated philosophical or scientific learning. There's knowledge, a wise attitude, belief, or course of action. And what does the Bible say? What is the fear of the Lord? So we're to fear fear? That's a good fear. Lisa. Well, that's the first commandment with promise. What was the, what's the commandment with promise? What does it say about honoring your mother and your father? Yes, that your days may be long upon the earth. And there are a lot of young people that died way too early because they wouldn't listen to their parents. Very sad, all throughout Scripture we see that. Wouldn't listen to the Lord, wouldn't listen to their parents. And none of us are perfect. I mean, most of all, least of all me. I can tell you that, but you know... The tenets that I was taught, I still remember them today. And the thing that turned me to Christ was when my father said, he was reading the book of Proverbs one night in devotions and says, just think about how long hell is. You burn in hell, you're going to be roasting forever. Ever and ever and ever. Jonathan Edwards says, a million years will seem like a second. Ever and ever and ever and ever. I could stay in here and do it forever. <laughs> it goes and it goes and it goes. And once you're there... You're not going to go to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me go back to my family. Let me start all over again. No, that's it. It's a sobering thought, but it's real. I mean, it's not some kind of a myth, which is what they're making it out to be today. Lisa. Right. Right. Whom he loveth, he chasteneth. But this is that's what we lack, I think, today in many in, in every area of our in area of our politics, our judicial system, all the way. <laughs> especially in the White House, there's no fear of the Lord. Anything goes. you got people that are sitting on the bench, one that died two years ago, that's still in the age of 80, was still passing legislation to murder babies. you got to be crazy to do that when you're ready to face God, but they don't have any fear of Him. Who's God? It's all right. I'm a naturalist. I'll just live in the earth. I don't know. These people think they want to come back as crickets or something. I don't want to come back as a cricket or, or, or a hornet or something like that. They really think that. 
That's why there's, you know, you, you, you try, to drive, try to run over a squirrel now and somebody catch you today. You get in more trouble than that than you do aborting a baby. Or running over a dog and leaving it there. I, wouldn't, I don't advise doing that, but people do it. I, I'm just, you know, it's, it's just crazy the way things have been. Establish thy word unto thy servant and have it emboldened in your heart. We've got a couple more minutes. We've got one more verse. Um, maybe, uh, let's see, Lisa, could you read Psalm 119, verse 39? David's the most brilliant man, basically, in his day. He is the most powerful man there is. He's done it all. He's the sweet psalmist of uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's he's sang. He's danced. He's played instruments. He has never lost a battle. Never lost a battle, not one time. And here he comes back and he says, "For thy judgments are good." He says, "Thy judgments." Not my judgments. Going back to what Dave said, and I thought that was great. The number one thing people care about themselves and they delight in is themselves. David delighted in the laws of the Lord. And he says, thy judgments are good. And there's a lot of interpretation. Basically what he's saying is, thy judgments are the only judgments. They're it. They're the bottom line. And that's what we need. I mean, our forefathers knew that. and They, they drew up the Bill of Rights and the Declaration. They knew that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Matthew 10.28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Ecclesiastes 12.13. Let us hear the conclusions of the whole matter Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's it. That doesn't say the whole duty of man is to have PhDs and more, more degrees than a thermometer. It doesn't say that we're supposed to have overflowing bank accounts. The whole duty of man is to keep His commandments and to honor them and to fear the Lord. We're going to stop there. Um, anybody else want to take a stab at this verse before we stop? I don't want to cut anybody off here. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. And we can finish here. Behold, I have longed after thy pre. There's that word, precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. And that should be in our hearts as Christians, to be quickened in the righteousness of our Lord. And who better than we could be quickened in? We're looking, we're looking at this incredible defense the fourth defense of Paul, he's getting ready to go before Festus, and that's where we're going to be next in chapter 25. What an incredible defense he gets. Lisa. Right.
Right. Right. And, and David's not saying here, he's not saying, I have arrived and I've got them all. He's still in his age. He's still begging for them. He's saying, Lord, quicken me. Make me righteous. Teach me thy precepts. Teach me thy ways that are past finding out. No, Lisa. Right. And he, 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 he mentions the heart over and over and over again in these passages. Well, we're going to finish there. I think I'm going to ask uh, Deacon and uh, Greg, could you close us this morning? Thank you.